Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Today's scripture is from the first chapter of Luke, beginning at the 31st verse. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and we will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today we are zeroing in on this idea of Christ's eternal kingdom. Maybe you are familiar with that. Maybe you've been around church a little bit and and you're familiar with the idea of the kingdom of God. Or maybe this is a newer concept for you, but it's it's a pretty big deal in the New Testament. In fact, uh, the book of Acts, which is kind of the ongoing story of the disciples, of Jesus' disciples, and um, tells what happened after Jesus uh, died and, and was buried and then rose from the dead. And then he spent about 40 days and then he ascended into heaven. The book of Acts is really telling what happened after he ascended, what his disciples did. And the book of Acts uh, starts out, and in the, the third verse of Acts, it says that Jesus presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This is what he was talking about in those 40 days with his disciples. He was talking to them about the kingdom of God. And then the book of Acts actually ends, the very last verse says uh, that Paul was uh, in, on house arrest, essentially, for two years, and was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's what the whole book of Acts is really about, uh, in a nutshell. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about how the Holy Spirit came onto and, and infilled the disciples, and then they went out and they were preaching the kingdom of God. They were proclaiming the kingdom of God. So today's sermon is, is about that, helping us to hopefully understand that a little bit better. Um, and, and my sermon is broken down pretty simply. We're going to first spend a little time looking at what is this throne of David that the angel is talking about in our passage. We're going to answer that. Then we're going to look at why did Jesus need to come and, and establish a kingdom here. Um, and then finally, what's our response to it? That, that's the breakdown of my message this morning. Should be pretty easy to follow. So let's pray together and let's ask the Lord to, to come and, and move today. Father, um, I thank you for each and every person that is here in this room today that has come for whatever reason they've come, um, Lord, I, I trust that you have brought every single person here. 
You've been working throughout this past week and weeks, no doubt, um, in, in their lives. Whether they can clearly see that or not, I trust that. And Lord, we're, we're opening up your word today. We're talking about eternal truths, powerful truths. We're looking at who you are, Lord Jesus. We're talking about how we should respond to who, who you are. And Lord, the reality that we must face is that apart from your help, we can't change ourselves apart from your help. We can't understand and see the truth, but that, oh Lord, you are a very willing God to open up eyes that don't see, to open up ears that don't hear. You are a very willing God to change the lives of those who humbly come before you and say, I want you, Lord. And so I pray that that would be uh, the case today for many in this room. Lord, that we would come to you humbly and eager to receive life from you uh, and, and to, to be a part of your kingdom now and forever. So please move, Lord. Please take over my mouth and say the things that you want said. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's jump right into this whole thing about the throne of David. The, the angel says in verse 32, And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. Uh, so what is that all about? In, in the Old Testament, there are a, a few, there are about four, some would say five, uh, covenants that God makes with people. And so he makes a covenant with Noah. Um, God makes a covenant with Abraham. He makes a covenant with Moses and the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. And, and then he makes this covenant with King David, as King David is, is nearing the end of his life. And um, all of the covenants in the Old Testament are connected. They're, they're not separate and distinct as much as they build on one another, and they're all going to lead up to a new covenant that shows up in the New Testament. But, but before we get to that new covenant that shows up in the New Testament, there is this final Old Testament covenant that God makes with King David. And if you have your Bible, uh, before we uh, go anywhere else, I want to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. And um, we're going to look at this covenant. And if you don't have a Bible with you today, we'll have that on the screen. But 2 Samuel chapter 7, we're going to look at a few of these verses from a kind of a long uh, passage where the prophet Nathan comes, uh, he's sent by God to David to deliver this message to him. And it's, it's a covenant that God is making with David. And here's what, what he says, starting in 2 Samuel 7 and verse 8. He says, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. When your days are fulfilled, skipping down to verse 12, sorry. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, 
I will raise up for your I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity I will discipline him with the rod of men with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So this is the final covenant of the Old Testament, the final covenant that God makes before that new covenant that's in the New Testament. And there's a lot in here, but if you were paying attention, you're going to see the parallels, the connections to what the angel said to Mary. He's going to be uh, great, like the great ones of the earth. Um, And he's going to have a kingdom that lasts forever. And did you notice that he says that three times? Three times, right? And so, Maybe you can put yourself in, in, back in that day, and you can imagine being there when David dies and then Solomon becomes a king, and, and he's a great king for sure, right? A great king in so many ways, um, but, but you would be wondering, is this the one? Is this the promised one that's, that's going to have a kingdom that, that lasts forever? And of course, the, he's not, Right? I mean, how is it that that a human being is going to have a kingdom that that lasts forever? How is it that somebody could be from David, so so definitely a human being, and yet have a forever kingdom? That is the question. And in this passage, it says that he will be a son to God and that God will be his son. Father, and that gives us the clue that we need. This human being will not just be a man. He will be the God-man. And, and, and so we can see this is pointing to Jesus, right? The, the, the God-man, the man who was born of a virgin, right? He is man, fully man, but also God, fully God. So the angel tells Mary he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, the Son of God. This passage, this covenant that, um, that is made with David is pointing to the Messiah, the Savior, the one who would come and, and save God's people and establish a forever kingdom. The, um, the prophet, Jeremiah, and the other prophets as well, but Jeremiah most clearly talks about this new covenant that is going to come. And in this new covenant, all the people, all of God's people will know him from the least to the greatest. They'll know God. They'll really know him. And then he goes on to say, because he will save his people from their sins. And so the new covenant comes when Jesus comes. 
And fast forward to the scene of Jesus with his disciples in the upper room, right? And, and they're, they're having the Passover meal. And Jesus is breaking bread with them. And he's saying, that this is my body that's broken for you. And then he pours wine into cups for each of his disciples. And as he's pouring it, he says in Luke twenty two twenty, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. It's the new covenant in my blood. What, what's he saying? Well, the new covenant would be ratified when Jesus was hanging on the cross and his blood was being shed for our sin. As his blood was being poured out at his death, it was for the forgiveness of sins. That was the ratification. That was the beginning of the new covenant. And this too was foreshadowed in that Davidic covenant, the covenant that God makes with David. Maybe you caught it. There's this verse that seems a little bit out of place because it's like, well, this is talking about Jesus for sure, right? And then in verse 14, it says, when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. And if you're, listening, if you're paying attention, you know, well, Jesus didn't commit iniquity. So why is this verse there? But don't forget that on the cross, the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin. That on the cross, he took our sins upon himself. And on the cross, he was disciplined with the rod of men for our sin. Treated as though he had done it himself. Isaiah 53, 5-6 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So when the angel says to Mary, the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, it is clearly to show that Jesus is the long-promised Savior King. That God made this promise to David a thousand years earlier. And now one in the direct line of his descendants was to be born who would become this Savior King. God would establish his kingdom forever. But why? So that's, that's the whole reason that that's in there. That why is, this, is, this is why he says, the angel says, he will be um, from David. But why do we need a king? Why do we need a king? The world that Jesus was born into was just as broken as the world that we live in today. It, don't, don't think that this world that we live in is so messed up and so broken, but back then things were pretty good, things were, were pretty easy. No, no, no. The world that he was born into was just as broken as the one we live in today. The question is why? Why has our world been broken for so long? Why, why is there so much evil in the world? And the answer is simply that people have turned away from and rejected their creator. People have rebelled against the one who made them, the God that made them for himself. And so people don't even want God's kingdom. 
I mean, consider how deep the darkness must be, how, how deep the deception must be for people to be given the offer of entrance into God's eternal kingdom and for, for them to say, no, I'm all set. I'm all set. Thanks. Consider that. Before we're set free by the power of the gospel, before that time, we're enslaved to this foolish deception that, that believes that we are capable, more capable of running our lives than Jesus himself. Consider that. We've all believed the same lie that poet William Ernest Henley said so eloquently, it matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Where did the lie, this lie that we are capable, more capable of, of running our lives and ruling our lives than of God himself? Where did this come from? Well, it comes from the father of lies, from Satan himself. Satan, um, long ago, according to Isaiah 14, 14, said in his heart, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. And that belief, that belief is what was behind all of Satan's rebellion. He believed that he could make himself, that he could become like God. And every single person on earth is born into this deception, right? Because of the curse of sin, we all are born under this lie, under this deception that we can make ourselves, that we can be like God, that we are capable of running our own lives, that we're the captain of our own souls, right? 1 John 5.19 says that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And so maybe you're a visual person like me, and you can picture this entire earth, and it's cloaked in darkness, and all of the human race cloaked in darkness. The Bible uses darkness to refer to deception and lies and blindness, and the Bible uses light to refer to the truth, to, to being illuminated to what's real, the, the real truth. And so when Jesus comes into the world, he comes as light in the midst of darkness. Truth in the midst of lies and deception. Matthew 4.16 says, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. In John 8.12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus comes to establish his kingdom of light in the midst of darkness. And yet his kingdom is not of this world. Jesus put it this way when he was speaking to Pontius Pilate before his crucifixion. In John 18, 36 through 37. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, 
And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. You see it? He came to set the record straight once and for all. To a world that was completely deceived, completely held captive to lies, to darkness. He came as light to a world that had believed lies For so long, he came to set the record straight. His kingdom is a kingdom of truth, a kingdom of light. It is not of this world. His disciples didn't get this. It took so long for them to understand that that this was not a, a political kingdom. This wasn't a kingdom that was going to spread by charismatic leaders. This wasn't a kingdom that was going to spread by military force. This was a different kind of kingdom. It was a kingdom that would spread through the hearts of men and women. People who would look and see that the king was good, that his kingdom was good, and that they would respond with repentance and faith. That they would submit themselves to his rule. His kingdom would spread by the word of God being preached. And as that word is believed, Light spreads one heart at a time. That's, that's the story of the book of Acts. It's his kingdom spreading one life at a time, one person at a time, believing the good news about the kingdom. The kingdom was so hard for people to grasp that Jesus taught in parables about this kingdom. He, 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 it's so multidimensional and, and different than what was expected that, that he taught in parables. And those that had eyes to see and ears to hear, they, they would hear these parables and the kingdom would begin to take shape and they would begin to understand it a little bit more. He would say things like, the kingdom, is, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven hidden in the darkness of a lump of dough. Right, it, which slowly spreads and eventually leavens the whole lump, transforming the lump of dough. Or that it's like seed that a, that a farmer scatters on the ground. Over time, the seed sprouts. The farmer wakes up, and, and, and suddenly the, the seed begins to grow from the earth, and he doesn't know how. That's, that's the kind of parables that he told about his kingdom. But how, how do we respond to his kingdom? And that's how I want to spend the rest of our time. How do we, I'm I'm talking to every single one of us, how do we respond to his kingdom? This demands, his kingdom demands a response from us. Um, The gospels tell us that, that when Jesus went out, he went out preaching, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So it's within grasp, it's near to you, it's it's available to you. And here's what he said, repent and believe the gospel. Here is how you respond to this kingdom that is now within your grasp, that is now made available to you. Repent and believe the gospel. So according to Jesus, the way that that we respond is to turn. Repentance means to turn away from doing life our way, from, from doing life without reference to God, from ignoring God and the world that he created, and to turn to him in faith. That's the way that we respond in Matthew 13, 15. 
He said, for this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. If they would turn, I would heal them, he says. But they, they're so, there's so much darkness, there's so much deception that their eyes are unable to see, their, their ears are unable to hear. They won't turn away from that old kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light because they fail to see that his kingdom is better. You know, as I was writing this sermon, I, was, I kept thinking, like, how is it that, that we can possibly look at his kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus, and turn it down? And yet it happens all the time. How is that? And, and, and the answer is in the deception. You know, there really are only two kingdoms that you can be a part of. There's only the kingdom of the, the beloved son, and there's the kingdom of darkness, Satan's kingdom. That's it. Those are the only two options. They're not alternative options. But the vast majority of those who are enslaved in the kingdom of darkness, they're not, they're not worshiping Satan. They don't, they don't, they don't believe. They're not, they're not saying, you know, I'm, I'm a part of this dark kingdom, and that's what I've chosen instead of the kingdom of light. That's not, that's not how it works. The deception is, is much worse than that. We can look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Uh, to, to, to help us to understand this a little bit better. So it says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So those who are enslaved to the domain of darkness, they are dead in their sins. Dead. This is true for every one of us. Before we turned to Christ, we were dead in our sins, unable even to see goodness and beauty and truth in Jesus Christ. Dead in our sins. But, but look at what it says that it's not necessarily that people feel like they're bad people because they're simply following the course of this world, right? Jesus said that the path was narrow that leads to eternal life, but broad that leads to destruction. They're simply on this very broad path following the course of the rest of the world. And it goes on to say that they're living in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. They're, they're doing what? They're, they're, they're pursuing their passions. They're pursuing their desires. And our world tells us that's what life is all about anyways, right? So, so being, being a part of the domain of darkness is so much more deceptive than, than, than choosing Satan. No, no, no. It's just choosing to build your own kingdom. 
your way for yourself. It looks like pursuing the passions and desires of your body and your mind. It looks like following your heart. It looks like finding your truth. It looks like living life your way without reference to God. That is the way of the domain of darkness. That's it. That's all you got to do to pursue the domain of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, is just live life for yourself. Build your own kingdom. Live without reference to God. So it takes supernatural illumination to see the truth that Jesus' kingdom is better than yours. Jesus came not just to set you free from hell, though he did. He, he came to set you free from allegiance to yourself. From, from being your own king, from ruling your own life. He left heaven and came to earth to live in this broken world so that he could save us from that lie that we're a better king than he is. He suffered and died in our place so that he could save us from the wrath of God that's coming upon everyone who refuses his offer of a better kingdom. So, what, what do we do if we see it? What do you do? What's the response if you see it? That, okay, he, I don't want to run my life anymore. I, I'm, I will run my life into the ground. What if, what if your eyes have been opened and you see that his kingdom is better? You see that, that he is a better ruler than you, that he is wiser than you, that he is good and true. You turn. You turn away from autonomy from pursuing the desires of your body and your mind. You, you turn away from following your heart and you turn to Him. And you, you, you make Him your King, your Lord, your Savior. You turn. This is what Jesus says to Saul, who becomes Paul in the book of Acts, in that story in Acts. When he appears to him, and Paul is recounting the story in Acts 26, verses 17 and 18, and he says that the Lord said to him, I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. This is what's required of those who see the truth. We turn from our life, our way, to him, to the king. We turn from the darkness of self-rule to a better king. And so to enter into his kingdom, you give your allegiance to him. Um, there's no trying out the kingdom of God. Many of the parables that Jesus tells make this very, very clear. No, no, no. To enter the kingdom, you sell all that you have with joy, and, and then you, you buy the field. To enter in, you, you go all in or you don't go at all. Jesus even said, count the cost before you come and follow me. There's no trying out the kingdom. There's no dipping your toe in. It's an all or nothing. Because, why? Because he's king. 
He's king. In one place, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and yet don't, don't do what I tell you? Either I am Lord or I'm not. Either I am king or I'm not. And so to enter the kingdom, it's an all-in thing. It's a, I am yours. You are the one in control. He says, you are my friends if you do what I tell you. That's what, that's what a king says. That's the way a king talks. We can be friends. We can have a wonderful relationship if you do what I command you. That's what kings say. And that's what Jesus said to his disciples. So, what about you? What about you? Have you turned? Have, has the seed of this message about the kingdom come into your heart and, and begun to change you from the inside out? Do you, see, do you see that he is king in your life? And I don't mean perfectly. Every one of us has sin, and we have to quickly confess it and turn back to him and receive forgiveness. But do you see that the overarching uh, trajectory of your life is that you're following him? That he is the one leading your life. As we consider how to go on responding to this message of the kingdom, I want to I share with you a little bit about a parable that are in, that's in three of the Gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's the parable of the soils. And in this parable, Jesus tells uh, uh, this story about seed that gets scattered on the ground. And, and the seed lands on four different kinds of soil. And that different kinds of soil are actually different kinds of hearers. And, and so according to that story, according to that parable, every single one of us in this room is one of those four types of soils. So the different types of soils are there's the, along the path, the soil along the path that's been trampled. There's the shallow, rocky soil that doesn't have much depth. It's, it's shallow soil. And then there's uh, soil that's thorny. It's got weeds in it, thorns that are growing up in it. And then there's good soil. Those are the four kinds. And he tells about these different soils. And then his disciples go to him and they say, Jesus, help us out. What are you talking about? And he breaks it down for them. And here is the summary of what he says if you look at how he defines it. The first kind of person is the person, is the, the, the one that the, the soil along the path. They're walking in darkness, living life without reference to God, and they hear about the kingdom of God, and they're so deceived that they want nothing to do with anything that requires them to change their life. So they immediately reject it. That's the first kind of hearer. They immediately reject it. The second kind of hearer is the shallow soil hearer. And this person hears the good news about the kingdom of God, and they immediately respond to it with joy. They see that this is appealing, that Jesus does look like a good person to follow, and they immediately respond to that message. And as soon as things get difficult, a spouse or a friend or a coworker, somebody gives them a hard time about now being a Christian, they, they, they 
reject it. They say, never mind, I didn't realize this was actually going to be a little bit difficult. The third kind of person is probably the one most relevant to all of us in this room. The third kind of person is the thorny soil here. And when Jesus describes this, this is the person who they hear the message, the, the seed of the kingdom of God goes into their hearts, and they respond to it, and they, they begin to change their life. And this person probably uh, starts attending church, going to community groups, serving, um, probably giving. They might start reading their Bible every day. But over time, something happens that undermines that, that word that went in and began to change their lives. And, and what, what it is that undermines it, Jesus says, these thorns that, that are these weeds that are growing up, is it's the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world, and the desire for other things. It's kind of a catch-all, right? Desire for other things. So they begin, they begin well, but as time goes on, maybe even years go by, maybe Maybe a decade goes by. They let money or career become more and more the focus, the real thing that they're seeking in their life. They get too wrapped up in projects around the house or politics or their health or weekend adventures. But whatever it is, eventually their passion for God and His kingdom becomes less and less and other things become more and more. Their faith weakens. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things come in over time and slowly choke the life out of the word that's been sown in their hearts. And it, they cease to bear fruit in their life. The fourth kind of person is the good soil hearer. And like the thorny soil hearer, they hear about the kingdom and they turn from darkness to light. Their whole life changes. When a friend or a spouse or a co-worker mocks them for their faith, it hurts, but they run to Jesus for comfort. Rather than letting the thorns of the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things choke out the word in their lives, they pull those weeds as soon as they see them growing. They tend the soil. They seek the kingdom of God first, His righteousness. And they trust God to give them whatever they need in this life. And over time, over a lifetime, they bear fruit 30, 60, 100-fold. So which kind of hearer are you this morning? And I believe the Lord taught this parable because there's something that we can do. I don't think you just stuck I think he taught the parable for you, for me. So when we hear it, if we recognize, oh my goodness, the thorns are growing up in my life, choking out my passion for Christ and his kingdom, there's something I can do, right? I can, I can wake up to the reality that this is being choked out in my life and I can pull these weeds. There's something I can do. So, don't be the thorny soil hearer. And, and maybe you're here this morning and, and, and you've only recently responded to this good news about the kingdom. Don't be the shallow soil. 
Don't walk away the moment someone challenges you or the moment that it gets difficult. But press on. Let's all be good soil hearers this morning. Let's turn away from following the course of this world, from pursuing the desires and passions of our body and our mind. And let's submit ourselves completely to a better king, to King Jesus. Let's let him rule and reign over us, over our homes, over our whole lives. Let's turn away from all inferior allegiances to inferior kingdoms, to Jesus who sits on the throne of David. Let's take his word at face value. Let's, let's let it go into our hearts and bear fruit. Let's pull the weeds of the cares of this world and the desire for other things as quickly as we see them so that we can bear fruit 30, 60, or 100-fold. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are sovereign over the seed that is scattered. And whether or not it goes into hearts ultimately is up to you. And Lord, I would, I would beg you right now that you would let this seed, this word about the kingdom of God pierce hearts. Lord, that you would do a work, a lasting, eternal work in hearts so that we would bear fruit for your glory, fruit that would abide. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.